Good morning. Welcome to the well and uh, welcome to those who are upstairs uh, in the well cafe. We're delighted to have you today in worship. Uh, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here and especially want to welcome you if this is your first time here with us at uh, First Methodist Mansfield. Uh, this weekend is kind of fruit basket turnover for us. Uh, Jason uh, is down here. So well cafe, if you're wondering where he was, he's here uh, leading worship uh, with Heather downstairs. Holly's upstairs uh, leading worship at the well cafe. And we're doing all of this because Doug is in San Diego. So let's all just take a moment and feel sorry for Doug, who's in San Diego this weekend, shall we? Um, if you don't know, uh, Doug, who normally leads our well service, is one of the lead administrators at Tarrant County uh, College here in town, and so he's at a conference. He's probably working, I'm sure. He's not on the beach, but uh, he is out, and we appreciate uh, all those who are filling in in different, different spots uh, for that. And then also, just, just want you to know, Saturday night, uh, moved to a new venue last night. We were in here for Saturday night worship for the very first time. And some of you have been here long enough that you were here at the very first well service, even those who, who are upstairs, some of you were here uh, for that when you got to sing in here for the first time, and the loft kind of has that, uh, that same uh, feel to it as well. You can hear yourself sing, and there were people who were in here for the first time last night going, wow, that's pretty cool. So uh, excited to be back in here again today, this morning, uh, and to share with Well Cafe as well as we continue our series, uh, Finisher. You've already heard me say at the start of the service that I'll be out uh, next week. Pastor Mike and I, as well as uh, 63 individuals from our church, will be going to the Holy Land this week. So we get on a plane on Tuesday. Uh, Part of the reason that we are going there is to come back and share with you in our next series, uh, The Land in Which Jesus Lived. And so the next series is going to be called Discovering the Holy Land. We're going to bring back video and imagery to share with you, and that's what we'll be walking through uh, through the season of Lent. But I hope you'll be here. Uh, Bishop Mike Lowry will be here to preach for you for all of our services, and you'll be blessed by what he shares uh, with you in the context of this series. But we're going to reset today around a very simple idea, which we said was at the heart of the series, and that is that life is not about starting things, life is about finishing things. Last week we talked about marriage, and we said the quality of marriage is not defined by how it starts how wonderful the wedding was, but rather how it finishes, the quality that is experienced over the course uh, of those decades. And, and so many things in our life work that way. We think about parenting, we think about our career, we think about relationships. None of these things are defined by the way in which they start, they're defined by the way in which they finish. Life is about finishing things. Now the, the imagery or the vision that I gave you for what it looks like to be a finisher comes from Paul's letter to Timothy. Timothy was someone who Paul described as his son in the faith. And writing to Timothy near the end of his life as he prepared to, to, to pass the mantle of leadership that Paul had carried in his life to Timothy, part of what Paul says to him is, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. And so what we said last week was the reason we're doing this series is so that each of us may come to the end of our life and be able to speak those words. That we would live in such a way that we would not have any regrets, but we could say, God, we have fought the good fight, we have finished the race, and we have kept the faith. Now this metaphor of the life of faith being like a runner finishing the race is something that we find throughout scriptures. And so last week, that's what we looked at. This metaphor and why it's helpful for us as we think about the life of faith. And from Hebrews 12, which we looked at last week, it says this. Run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That we must run with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus because, we said last week, following Jesus is hard. 
It's really hard. And all of us, at some time in our life, whether you've hit it yet or not, all of us hit a wall. All of us find, us, find ourselves at that place where we, we face that temptation to quit because following Jesus is hard. So strength, additional strength, has to come from somewhere in our life. And while we believe that Jesus is the strength of the Christian life, where most of us struggle is tapping into that strength. How do we do that? How do we run in such a way that we fix our eyes on Jesus? And how do we run with Jesus? That's what I said we were going to talk about this week. Not out front, not behind, but how do we run with Jesus? That's what we're going to talk about today. So here's what we're going to do uh, in the message today. About half of the message, I'm going to walk you through a theological framework that is for the second half of the message, which is just some really basic practical teaching. So we're going to start with theory, and then after looking at some theory, we're going to talk about practice. So when you leave today, you're going to have something concrete that you can look at, think at, evaluate as you think about what it looks like in your life to run with Jesus. That's my hope and my goal for today, that you will leave with some concrete idea that you can think about, reflect on, and how you can do this better of connecting to the strength that God has for you in your life. Now, if you're brand new to the Bible, you may not know that the Bible is not one book. The Bible is actually a collection of 66 books, which begins with the book of Genesis. And Genesis begins, the first two chapters, are two accounts of the creation of the world. Now, the accounts that we find there are not written to address our modern scientific questions about how the world came to being. The the, the accounts do speak to how the world was made, but they speak to it for the purpose of our understanding God and God's relationship with this world that God created. And so when you look at those two accounts, there are a few things that we learn about creation, about God and how God lives in relationship with this creation. And here's a few words that define that. So the first thing that we notice is that the creation that God brings into being is a dynamic creation. God doesn't create a tree and go, well, that's a great tree. We're just going to keep it there forever. God creates a world that is ever-changing. It's dynamic. God creates a world that is relational, a world in which everything connects with everything else. God creates an ecosystem in which every living thing both supports and depends on every other living thing. God creates a world that is participatory. So plants have seeds and animals mate and human beings connect in participating in the continual recreation of the world. This is a world, according to to the creation account, a world that follows a particular rhythm. It has a pace to it. There is evening and there is morning. The world, creation, is structured around these days. And everything that lives within this creation follows this similar pattern. There is this pattern of activity and rest, this rhythm and repetition that we see in creation. And what God says about this kind of world, a world that is dynamic and relational and and follows a particular rhythm and has this participatory nature to it, what God says about this world is that this world is good. In other words, words, God intentionally designed the world to be this world way. Dynamic and relational and, and ever-changing and uh, an ecosystem of life that, that where, where each living thing depends and supports every other living thing. Now you can learn a lot about a creator by studying his or her creation. 
So what do we learn about God in looking at the world in which God created? The first thing you might say is that we learn that God is a highly relational being. God in God's own self is blessed by relationship. And so God has designed his creation in such a way that it is biased towards connectedness. We might also say, as kind of a further thought, that God values interdependence. Again, there is an ecosystem of life in which each living thing both supports and depends on every other living thing. That's another thing that we see about God in this creation. And then the other thing we see is this sense of rhythm. You almost see in creation this idea that God knew that his creation would need this pattern of life. That we would need this sense of repetition and rhythm and pace in our life if creation was going to be successful. So how does all of this connect with what it means to run with Jesus? So a few years ago, I was at a conference uh, where uh, author and pastor Michael uh, Slaughter was. And in the context of the message that he was sharing, he shared with us this quote. He said, what I've learned in my life is it only takes me 24 hours to lose a healthy fear of God. And what he was talking about was his own need for some sort of daily reconnection with God. Some sort of, the way he described it is some moment in his day where he reconnects with the why of his life, the purpose of his life. Some moment when he can step back from his busyness and and reconnect with what life is all about. And he says without that, 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 that he lost that sense of awe and wonder and majesty and perspective on what his life was all about. Only 24 hours he had discovered in his life. It only took 24 hours to lose that sense of perspective that he needed to stay connected with God. Which raises a question. Is that because Michael Slaughter is just a really bad human being? Or could it be that God intentionally designed him to be that way. God brings into into creation a world in which uh, there is this sense of dynamic change, a world that is highly relational, a world that follows a particular pattern, a particular repetition, a particular rhythm uh, to its life, and all of creation is designed to live according to this pattern of life. So we might say it this way, that God designed a world where there is an intentional rhythm and pace to life, and that a great deal of our suffering can be attributed to the way we live in rebellion to that truth. God designed you to live according to a certain pace, a certain rhythm, a certain sense of repetition. He designed you to live within an ecosystem of life where you both support and depend on other things that, that, that fill your life. He intentionally designed you that way and much of the suffering that we experience in our life is when we live in rebellion to that truth. So let me give you one example. Have you ever considered how inefficient it is that we have to sleep? I mean, when, think about it. Your life is only so long and, and if you're healthy, if, if you follow your doctor's orders, you're going to spend 35 to 40% of your life asleep. 
I mean, when you think about it from an efficiency standpoint, it makes no sense. I mean, there's a part of us that looks at that and we think to ourselves, that must be a flaw in our design that we have to spend almost half of our life asleep. And yet we know that if we rebel against this truth, bad things happen, right? I mean, have you tried to live without sleep? Have you, have you gone a week where you went six hours to five hours to four hours? Have you, have you experienced the physical damage that, that, that comes into your life because you lack sleep? Have you, have you experienced, or perhaps maybe the people in your life might say, say this, some emotional damage that comes into your life because you lack sleep? Have you experienced the spiritual damage that comes in your life because, because you lack sleep? Have you, in fact, lived in rebellion? into that truth and experience the suffering that is caused by it. Yes, we all have. We all know what life looks like when we lack sleep. And yet we wonder, why? Why would God design us in this particular way? So here's what's going ha- to happen right now. The ushers are coming forward downstairs and upstairs. They have some handouts for you. This is the practical teaching. So that's the theory that I want us to connect with. Again, we're looking at how God created us, how God wired us. And what I want us to do is to walk through three areas of our lives And think about this idea of relationship, this idea of pace and rhythm, and give you a resource that you can use to evaluate the overall health of your life and your ability to run with Jesus. So we begin, you will see as as those are passed around, we begin with your physical life. So what the creation accounts tell us is that the way God creates man in Genesis 2 is God takes dirt and he forms that dirt into the shape of a human being and then God breathes into that pile of dirt God's breath and the human being comes alive. So your life is made up of two things, dirt and the breath of God. That's why you're alive right now. That's why your life is continuing in this next moment. Because God is giving to you the breath of life. And because you have a form, you have a a, a physical shape that can hold that breath. Now, some of us aren't real happy with what our physical shape looks like. But you need it. It's important. If you didn't have it, you would not still be alive. You have to have both of these things, this physical body and the breath of God. That is what your life is made up of. So you cannot separate your physical life from your spiritual life. You cannot separate the things that are happening in your physical body from the things that are happening in your spiritual life. And when there are things that are off in this area of our life, in our physical life, it often bears itself out in, the, in, in, in our spiritual life as well. So your body has been designed to need proper nutrients. Your body has been designed to need proper activity in your life. And your body has been designed to need a proper amount of rest in your life. And these things, the way we do these things and how well we do them, has an effect on every other aspect of our life. Again, just try not to sleep for a couple days and see what happens with your spiritual life and how patient you are and how well you live in relationship with other people. Uh, This is what 1 Corinthians 6 says. Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? So Old Testament, remember, there was this tent. And the tent, what made it special was that God's presence was there. 
God's spirit was there. The breath of life was there. What Paul says is, so it is with your bodies. Your, your pile of dirt that's just yours, it, it, it holds life. The breath of God. And so how you treat this physical body, it, it affects every area of your life. If you're someone in your life who's lived with chronic pain or walked through a long-term illness, you know this truth. You've experienced it. You've experienced how symptoms in your physical body affect the, the entirety of your life. I still remember several years ago going to see a member of our church uh, who'd been going through chemotherapy for quite some time. Mike and I were there sitting with her. And one of the things that she expressed to us in that visit was just her concern about how down she felt, just this sense of depression. And, and part of what was so concerning uh, about that to her was that she'd never experienced that. This, this was the kind of person who just kind of bounced off the walls. I mean, a vitality that no one else could keep up with. But, but what she was feeling in her physical body was, was bearing itself out in her spirit. And I remember Mike saying to her, you're going to have to give yourself some grace. You don't feel good. You're not going to feel good. And that's why everyone else is here with you to support you and nurture you as you walk through this physical challenge that you're going through. So if that's where you are, if you're someone who deals with those kinds of things, these other two categories of your life are even more important. But you see there, uh, I won't read through them, but some questions to consider in the area of your physical life. In your emotional life, You think about your emotional life around uh, two things, uh, relationships and reflections. So you think about your relationships, and one of the ways that you might think about the significant relationships in your life is, again, to think about the way God created the world. God created a world, an ecosystem, where things both support and depend on every other living thing. So significant relationships in your life, relationships where you can be honest and open and vulnerable, should be relationships where you are both being supported and offering support. There should be a balance between those two things. And if you're out of balance, that may be something that you need to look at. You may actually think that you have a significant relationship and what you have instead is a toxic relationship. And just as a physical toxin in your body causes damage, so can a toxic relationship cause damage in your life. So, so evaluating your significant relationships and asking yourself, is there a balance between how I am offering and sharing support and the way that I am receiving support? And wherever that imbalance is, you may have to work on that. Now, not all relationships work that way. I have a relationship with my five-year-old son. He needs more support from me than I need from him. That's the nature of a relationship. But the, but the relationship with my wife is very different. So evaluating the health of that relationship, I, I can look at, well, how, how am I being supported and how am I offering support? Reflection. If relationships are the activity of our emotional life, reflection is the rest of our emotional life. And let me try to explain this because this is kind of hard. This is what reflection is. Reflection is being able to step back from our lives and own our own emotional tendencies and patterns. You may have never even thought about this, but you have emotional tendencies and patterns. And some of them are really, really good. And some of them are not. <laughs> They're bad. 
And, and that's okay as long as you understand how they work in your life and can adjust accordingly. So when we reflect, when we step back, part of what we do is we recognize our own emotional tendencies and patterns, and we have the ability to sift through those things that are leading to good in our life and those things that are leading to, to, to something unhealthy in our life. I have told you this before, but I'm going to say it again. There, there are a few things. I, I'm not sure I could think of anything that has blessed my spiritual life, meaning my life with Jesus, running with Jesus, more than several years ago making a commitment to go see a counselor four times a year. Only for, 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 the, for the reason that I ask people to do that all the time, and I just felt like I needed to be able to do what I ask people to do. And so I made that commitment several years ago. Four times a year, I'm going to sit down with a counselor, and that process of engaging in reflection, of investing in my emotional life, has had a tremendous impact on my spiritual life. I didn't expect that. I didn't know that was going to happen, but it did. Every single person here in the chapel and upstairs, would be blessed by sitting down with a skilled person who helped you understand some of your emotional tendencies, your emotional patterns, to be able to sift through those things that lead to good and those things that lead to harm. Last area of your life is your spiritual life. And I gave you three different expressions of the spiritual life. The expression of solitude, the expression of community, and the expression of practice. So solitude, if you don't know what that word means, that means alone. Some of you are scared right now, just because I said alone. No one else around, stepping back from the busyness of your life in quiet to reconnect with God. Now this sounds a little counterintuitive, because again, creation, it's all about relationships. But Jesus did this. Luke 5, 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. And, and, and what we see in the life of Jesus, it modeled for us, is that if we want to be finishers in our life, we have to have the courage to step back from the busyness of life and, and solitude, to reconnect with God, to be vulnerable, to be honest with God, and to ask God to speak into our lives. There are things that cannot happen in us. There's grace that cannot be received in us if we don't have the courage to step back from, from, from the life that we're living, to be in solitude with God. Community is all about relationship. We've already talked about relationships, but here's, here's two warnings. The first one is this. Facebook doesn't count. <laughs> now, let me explain to you why. And let me explain to you why Facebook might actually be causing us more harm than good in this area of our life. Facebook gives us a temporary sense of satisfaction without the real meat of relationships. Are you with me? For relationships to be vital and significant and, 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 and a, a community to be a part of your spiritual growth, there has to be some level of mess involved in those relationships. If you have the ability just to run away and, and, and turn off the stream and ignore what you, what, what you don't want to deal with, then that's not real community. It doesn't count. It's not the real community that fosters grace and love in our lives. For that to happen, there has to be some level of mess. This is why marriage is, can be such a powerful, powerful tool for helping you grow in love with Jesus. Because it's very hard to run away. Gary Thomas says it this way, it's hard to hide when you share the same bed. And that's what makes marriage so difficult, but also the potential for it to be such a blessing because it's a place where you practice grace. And you practice grace there because you need it. 
Because the person you married is a human being, just like you, and they have a will, and then you will find that you are more selfish than you realize because of that relationship. Relationships, community, for it to be healthy and vital, there has to be some place where we practice humility and grace and forgiveness, and that's one-on-one, that's face-to-face. Now, the other thing I'll say is that this is not necessarily community. I mean, I love that you're here in worship, but you've talked to the person next to you for about three seconds, right? This is not necessarily one of those places where community happens. It can be, but often it happens outside the context of worship. So are there people in your life that you're sharing life with? Are there people that you're connecting with on a regular basis? Are there people in your life that that you are sharing each other's mess? You are both supporting and being supported in those relationships. That's what real community is, and all of us need it. If we didn't, there wouldn't be 3 billion people on Facebook. We have that longing, but the longing is for something deeper than that. It's for real, significant relationships. The last word there is practice. And what I mean by practice are the things that you see listed there. There's lots of practices. I won't go through all of them, but worship is practice. You may never thought about it this way, but here in the context of worship, we are practicing gratitude. That's part of why we're here. We're practicing gratitude. And the reason that you practice something is so that it becomes the natural expression of your life. So you may not be the most grateful person. I don't think I'm uh, necessarily the most grateful person. I forget to say thank you. But worship helps me practice that, to say thank you to God. When I forgive others, especially when I don't want to, it's a way of practicing grace. And I do it for the purpose, and you do it for the purpose, that grace becomes the natural expression of your life. When you serve the poor, when you sign up and say, I'm going to go feed the homeless, you do so because you want that sense of humility and self-denial to become the natural expression of your life. When you give, when we pass the offering plates and you put money in that, part of what makes that so significant is you are practicing so many things. You're practicing humility. You're practicing self-denial. You are practicing trust in God. You're practicing sharing grace. And the purpose of the practice is for it to become the natural expression of your life. Now, all three of these things, solitude and community and, and, and practice, here's what I want you to hear. They need to be a part of your daily life because that's the way God created the world. God created the world according to a certain rhythm, a certain pace, and that is the pace that we are called to follow every single day to step back in solitude, to reconnect with God every single day, sharing your life in some way with, with a community of people who, who, is, who is sharing support with, with one another, a mutual exchange in that, way, in that way, every single day engaging in practices where we might grow in these expressions of the way Jesus lives so that they become the natural expressions of our life. Now here's what I want you to do. So you have a handout. You have homework. This is so good. I gave you homework. You came to church. You didn't know you were going to get homework. This is your homework. There's lots of questions that I've given for you there to think through these three areas of your life, your physical life, your emotional life, and your spiritual life. Your homework is to take that home, pull out a blank sheet of paper or however you would engage in reflection and spend some time looking at those questions. You don't have to answer all of them. You're not turning it in. It's not an assignment in, in, in that way. It's just for you to engage in some reflection over these three areas of your life. The take home for you might be, I need to change my diet because that's affecting every other aspect of my life. 
The take-home may be you look at your relationships and you go, there's no balance here. It's it's not the way it should be. The take-home might be, I I, I need to practice more. I I need to get in the gym and shoot some free throws because I'm not, are you with me? This is not the natural expression of, of, of my life. It could be many things, but I want to invite you to take some time, reflect on this, talk to someone who loves you, cares for you, and believes in you about your answers about what you think your take-home is, so that they can help you with those blind spots that you have in your life. And the reason that we're doing this, don't forget, the reason that we're doing this is because following Jesus is hard. And my hope for you, my prayer for you, is that you will come to the end of your life and be able to say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, And I have kept the faith. I have no regrets. I have done what God has called me to do. I have run my race with Jesus. And I can lay my head down satisfied that I have done that well. That's our hope for you. That's our dream for you. And that's why we're walking through this. So have courage to ask yourself some hard questions. Have courage to have what may be a difficult, painful conversation where we confess some of our own need. Have courage to make the changes you need to make so that you can be a finisher. Let's pray. Jesus, I know that you love these people. You know that I love them, Lord, but... but but your love for them just overwhelms everything. Your belief in them, your hope for them, the dreams that you have for, for each of them. I, and so, Lord, I pray for each of us that we would have courage to step back from the busyness of life, the, the, the pace of life that may be unsustainable, to, to return to a proper rhythm, a proper repetition in our emotional life, our physical life, and our spiritual life, Lord, so that we can run with you, staying connected to the strength that you offer to us, moving in in the direction that you have called us to go. God, I pray that you would bless each of us today as we we engage in this work and, and seek to do better because we want to pursue your dreams. We want to run with you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.